When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Goaltending's been the big thing for the Evanston Oilers lately. While many things have gone right for the NHL team to go 6-3-1 in their first 10 games of the season, the play of starting goalie Cam Talbot, as well as backup Miko Koskinen in his single appearance, have backstopped the team to its winning record. Remember, many a pundit and average fan on the streets weren't giving the Oilers much of a chance to win games in October, much less come out of it with a winning record. I'm Jim Matheson. Uh, I'm Derek Bandiste. And I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to these hockey beat writers for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun about the strong play of Talbots and Koskinen and what it's meant to the Oilers. We also talk about the better play on defense, particularly the resurgence of Oscar Clefbaum, who a year ago was hampered by a shoulder injury. He looks a lot more like the defenseman of two years ago, when Clefbaum scored a dozen goals while playing a full schedule. We also talk about Evan Bouchard, the rookie defenseman who's been sticking with the NHL club, and whether he should be sent back to junior. Consensus, he shouldn't be. And while Connor McDavid still factors on much of the Oilers' scoring, his teammates have been catching up with him of late, with players on lines not including the superstar scoring more and more. Then, a grab bag of thoughts on a few forwards, particularly Jesse Pugliarvi, the high draft pick from 2016 who is proving to be a bit of an enigma at the start of his third NHL season. Should the Oilers send him down to the minor leagues to try to develop his 200-foot game? This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, October 30th, 2018. What's the difference in this team since the start of the season? It's, you know, it seems to me the turnaround all started in the fourth game of the year. That The overtime win over Winnipeg. They were down 4-1 to one, heading into the third. They tie it. They win. Boost of confidence. And here we are, uh, gone through the murderer's row, so-called murderer's row uh, part of the schedule in October. And they've gotten points from all those games, including a whole bunch of wins. 
Uh, I would presume it's a lot of things. I don't think I it's know. one particular thing. Yeah, I just want one. I know it's not just one uh, I would say their, their uh, intensity level has gone up, and I think they're playing a little bit better defensively than they did in the first couple of games. Um, certainly against New Jersey and Sweden, they were not good at all defensively, and, and Jersey made them pay. I, they they just look more determined like they did two years ago. Like, we'll show you. And then, you know, they're winning games. They could, they're 3-1 and one in the overtime, okay? They could be 1-3, too. They could have two fewer points, yeah. but that would still only be two fewer points. So they are winning the close games. They've won a lot of close games this year. They you know, beat the Rangers by one as well. Uh, so they're winning the close games, and the goaltending's better. Well, I contend that it's, I think it start, all starts with goaltending. After that, even after they were down 4-1, um, Cam Talbot made some big saves to keep it at 4-1 and, the, and allowed the Oilers to come back in that game against Winnipeg. And I was contended that the two years ago, Cam Talbot made those big saves in the first period when he had to. He kept the score one nothing, or he kept the score even after the first period, allowing the Oilers to kind of find their legs. And I, I see the same thing happening this year. Uh, in the first game against Nashville, he, he really kind of kept the team in the game, and then the Oilers kind of took over in the second and third period. Did the same thing in Boston, did the same thing uh, with the Washington Capitals. Uh, so he's keeping his team in the game while they're trying to find their stride. And for whatever reason, this team doesn't get off to a good start. They were always kind of take a while to kind of get warmed up and, and, and get going. Two years ago, Cam Talbot was keeping him in the game. Last year, he wasn't. Last year, the Oilers were going into the intermission down 2 nothing, down 3 nothing. Game was over. You can't climb that hill. This year, they're not. They're at 0 0 or they're tied. They're tied 1 1 or whatever it is. And the game is still there to be taken over. And the Oilers are doing that. And, and I see that now. And that's why, to me, this year is it's resembling a lot like two years ago when they got the 103 points because of the goaltending right now. He's keeping them in the games when the team is still not ready to go. And I think about Cam Talbot, and I think about something he said during training camp right at the beginning when you guys first talked to them was his focus. And he says, I mean, everybody, of course, says they're focused on the season, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You saw that in the preseason games. You know, obviously the orders had a shaky start, but he's been on the whole time. Yeah, he hasn't been. Last The game against in Chicago was the, rev, the reverse of what Der, what the Derek said. I, I thought he made a lot of saves in the third period when it was tied 1-1 and didn't let Chicago get the yeah. lead. And it was almost like, we'll get this to overtime, we'll win the game. And he did. You know, he got them to overtime, and they won the hockey game. Uh, I, it was interestingly, Koskinen played really well, I thought, in Nashville. A huge sigh of relief, I'm sure, for the coaching staff, the goaltender coach, the general manager who signed him, and the players who have to play in front <laughs> yeah. of him because they weren't too sure after some of those early exhibition games what they were getting. And I thought he played quite well in Nashville. Much better goaltenders than Koskinen get beat by Philip Forsberg with that shot he's got. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't blame him for any of those goals. And now it looks like, okay, we can play him. I don't think he'll play him this week at home, but I'm sh- sure he'll probably play in Detroit on the, on the Saturday night. And I might even play him in Tampa. I might play Cam in Washington and then the back end play Koskinen in, in Tampa too. So... I, it's a bonus, as Winnipeg is finding with Laurent Bossois this year, they can play him some games, and Hellebuck doesn't have to play them all. So, you know, goaltending is, you know, they, they sometimes knock goaltenders for the money they make, 
I would never say that because they're, if you don't have one, you're hooped. And last year, the Oilers' goaltending was not great. Cam got better towards the end of the season, but it wasn't good early enough, and then they were out of the playoff picture. It's it's difficult with backup goaltenders because it's a real catch-22 because if you play well, then you may get in one every five games, which I think was what the Oilers wanted to do with Koskinen. You don't play well, you're going to get in one every eight games or whatever, and then you have the one game, and you know if you don't play well, you're not going to see the ice for another three weeks. And I think that was important for Koskinen in that game because he knew that if he that game was going to dictate his season, basically, how much he was going to play this year. He played well. The Oilers won. Now the Oilers can look and say, okay, we can play him one every five games and one every six games. He didn't play well. one out of every four. Yeah. Which is what Winnipeg's doing with Brissois. They've told him, you'll play one out of every four games. So goaltender gets to think, okay, i got this many games left. I'm going to get another 15 starts. So he's not panicking, worrying about, you know, having to do play all world every game yeah so that's that's i think that's a key for the Oilers right now and, and i think they are looking one you got to get to the playoffs too but then you don't want to have your goaltender be burnt out by the time you get there so i think they are kind of that's why they brought him in this season because they felt that he could spell off camp talbot and and for the first game good for him he came out he had a shaky preseason people were not sure about him they they said he well he's kind of leaky he lets a lot of stuff go through his through his arm and his body and i thought he played extremely well against uh, nashville that's has been his only game so far this year, so I guess we'll wait and see for the next one. Mm-hmm. But you need to to go into that situation. You're going into play Nashville. I think at the time was the top of the standings in the NHL. You know, two years removed from a Stanley Cup final, um, and to play the way he played and you know backstop them to the win, only letting Forsberg score. I mean, that's impressive. It's impressive and. The one thing about being a backup goaltender, the one plus for being a backup goaltender, the rest of the league doesn't know you. Yeah. You don't play very often. They don't know your weaknesses. Now, in preseason, it looked like he had a weakness with his glove hand because goals were going up high on him, but they didn't go up high on him in in Nashville. So that is a a plus for a backup, but Derek's absolutely right. There's a lot of pressure on a backup before he establishes himself as a good backup in the NHL who doesn't feel that every game he has to play has to has to be an, an 8 to 10 on the on the scale, knowing that he just has to play well enough to give his team a chance to win, as the starter does. Uh, and, you know, if he plays a couple more like that, the coach, as I said, the coach will be happy, and the goaltender coach and everybody else, and that $2.5 million they're paying him, as long as he wins the games, uh, they won't care. And how many of these games does he have to win before people start forgetting about that $2.5 million? If he gets through November and, say, gets three or four more starts and then wins almost all of them, say he's 4-1 or something, they'll be saying, yeah, well, great. Yeah, exactly. They won't, that one, then the money, the money won't matter if, if he does. I think the key to a backup well. goaltender is when the starting goalie gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Even if it's for two, three weeks. Say it's three weeks. So that's, say, ten games. And the backup has to play ten games in a row. And then I think then that's when you find out, oh, is this guy good enough? to carry us through those 10 games when the starter's not there. And, you know, knock on wood, you don't want Cam Talbot getting hurt. But I think that's the truest measure for a backup is when your starter goes down for just long enough that you get a a taste of what the backup can do. And that's how Cam Talbot made his name. He came in for Henrik Lundqvist. When Lundqvist went down, suddenly people realized, hey, this Cam Talbot guy can play, and the Oilers went out and got him. So I think that... 
you're right. Jim's absolutely right in a sense that, that that's where the backup really makes his money is when he has to fill in for the starter, not necessarily spell off the starter. But, yeah, if he comes in and, and if they get to a point where they're not seeing a significant drop between the starter and the backup and they have confidence in him and the team has confidence in him, yeah, then then the $2.5 million won't matter. Yeah, and, and of course, last year, that's what we saw. We saw Talbot uh, leave the lineup for two or three weeks and Laurent Swag got his shot at being the everyday starter and didn't work out. Yeah. Neither did it. Montoya. No. Montoya was good when he came into the game if Cam got pulled. Yeah. But was not good starting. And, you know, I guess that's, you know, 50-50. You look good, keep the team in the game when you come in for the starter who's not playing well. But I think you want the starter to to play his games and the backup to play all 60, not to come in, you know, 20 minutes in. Sure, and I guess it depends on the team too. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that the, when Anders Nilsson was the backup here to Talbot and he got his shot, not because of injury, but because Talbot was struggling and he got some wins and uh, was basically started for a month. Different situation. But um, I guess that's what, that's what we're looking for from Mika Koskinen and any backup is to be able to come in and whatever the situation is, injury or, you know, somebody struggling to be able to come in and fill that role. Yep, exactly. There's so many things that contribute to what the Oilers have done over the last... This is a positive podcast. It is a positive Unlike podcast. Unlike some of those other ones okay. where we're saying we're scratching for, for uh, good things to say. And uh, But here we are talking about goaltending for, I don't know, obviously that's top of mind. I mean, there's so many other things, like we said. Um, you know, I think about defense, and we kind of go from the crease to the blue line. Uh, Oscar Clefbaum's play. Now, Oscar Clefbaum, last season was nursing a shoulder injury all year long. This year, he's healthy. He had the surgery late in the season, right? And now he's back, and he looks like he was two years ago. He does. 26 minutes a game, only one defenseman in the league playing more than him, Drew Doughty, and not by a whole lot. Uh, and 26 minutes a game, that's a lot of, that's a lot of minutes. And, but when you, you're on the power play and you're on the penalty kill and you're also on 5-5, five and five, it's much like... Ryan Suter, who the owners will see on Tuesday, was in the same situation. He plays in all three disciplines, and that's why he plays so many minutes. So it's a huge plus for the owners to have one defenseman who's at the absolute top of his game, and then he's got a good partner who, if he plays a few minutes less because he doesn't play in the power play, is still very capable, and Adam Larson to, to uh, help him. And you know, they have one really good pairing right now that, that they can play against all the other team's best players too. And I think that's the greatest plus for for uh, Todd McClellan. He knows now because Clefbaum's healthy, he can play him against the other team's better players and he's not playing with one arm. He's, you know, he's strong enough when the puck's in the corner to keep people out and he's strong enough to get people out in front of the net. Yeah, Clefbaum is coming into his own right now. And uh, he's really... <laughs> He's really developed into uh, the, the high-end defenseman that the Oilers figured he'd become. 
the only issue I have with the Oilers' defense is that they're relying a lot on that top four. They're playing them an awful lot compared to the the third pairing. Third pairing, they're not. They're really protecting, especially when Bouchard is in. They're not sure about Garrison. I know they got Benning back, but they are. Tom McClellan is going heavy, heavy, heavy with his top four, and when you have um, guys like that playing heavy minutes, playing well over twenty minutes, your your top four defenseman that could be that can be a grind on you. So I think. Uh, if there's a concern on the back end, that would be the concern. Is that the guy, these guys are playing well, but he, they have to play him a lot for the Oilers to be successful right now. And I think that's an issue that they'll probably look at and try and resolve in some in some manner, uh, because you just can't keep playing your guys 22, 23, 24 minutes a night and cleft bomb 26, 27 minutes a night. It, that, that's going to take a toll on them. Well, it doesn't in Nashville. No, <laughs> well Nashville, they they, they, but their defensemen are elite, elite, elite. Yeah. And that's why they play the four defensemen. Yeah, they have almost yeah, the entire game. They have the best top four in the league in Nashville, so they have four number one guys playing on that blue line. So the Oilers don't have four number one guys. You know, you mentioned Bouchard, and of course, that's one of the topics. Uh, you know, simmering on the stove is you know how long will Evan Bouchard last in the NHL lineup? Uh, you know, once he plays nine games, then uh, then his. Uh, you're eating up a year of his entry level contract, mm-hmm. uh, and then they have, you know, up, is it up to forty games before they, have, you know, have to keep him for the year? Can't send him back to junior. That's all right. He's got. They're, they'll milk this nine games as far as they can. Yeah. You know, and, and he plays right defense. So does Matt Benning play right defense. So you can't. They're not going to play two right guys together. So. You know, I don't know when the next game he'll play is. You know, maybe he plays against Minnesota, but they're winnings with the lineup they've got. So yeah. I don't know why he would switch it up much unless you tell Matt to play left side and Bouchard plays right, but um, as opposed to Garrison take him out. But uh, Bouchard, I don't see the advantage of sending him back to junior myself. I think he just... I think he would conserve his energy to play the 30 minutes a game he'd be playing yeah. in, in London. I wouldn't say you get bad habits because, the, you know, Dale Hunter is the coach. But when you play lots of minutes, you lose the edge you had when you were playing against men and you're back as a 19-year-old playing against 16- and 17-year-olds who aren't as strong and you can kind of do what you want to do. So it's not like he's the seventh-best defenseman on the orders and he's played seven games. Yeah. He's far from that. So as long as he's in the top, if you consider him one of your top six defensemen, uh, I think he should still stay here. I I don't see any advantage at all sending him back to junior. To be honest with you, and and, and like Jim said, he, he I think he will. He's not going to get any better going back to junior. And I think that's something that the Oilers have to look at. Is and with is another another year of junior where he goes and dominates and he right plays thirty minutes a night and he's playing against kids that are younger, that are smaller that uh, are not as skilled as he is, how how are you going to improve? And you don't improve playing against competition that's worse than you are. You only improve playing against competition that's better. And you improve by practicing here every day with the Edmonton Oilers, by working with the Oilers coaches, by by practicing and playing with men. And and I know it's that it's a big contention, the nine games and the, and the entry-level contract. But if he comes in here and plays and they spell him off and he's your seventh defenseman and he plays – whatever 37 games 38 games this year you, you still keep that year of unrestricted free agency what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that they'll set up the world junior too 
They might, yeah, they might. I mean, they will send him to the World Junior if he's not playing, if he's suddenly not up to 15 minutes. If he's still down around 10 or 11, yeah. they'll send him to the World Junior, and he'll get away for three weeks and play against you know really good competition in the World Juniors, and then uh, they can bring him back. I, I totally agree with you. The downside, of course, is that the Orders have kept an awful lot of their high-end first-round draft picks rather than either send them back to junior or send them to the minors, and then they don't get better yeah. necessarily. So, you know, lots lots of teams send their kids back. To, you know, St. Louis sent Petrangelo back to junior twice. Looks a pretty good defenseman now. Mark Shifley got sent back to junior twice. Pretty good player right yeah. now. So I guess it's, it's the individual. I just, I don't, defensemen who play a lot, they slow the game down to their pace in junior to conserve their energy to play 30 minutes a game. And that's that would be the downside for me because he's found in the NHL as a defenseman you have to move your pace up, go back, get the puck quicker, and, and do everything quicker. And he's got that in his mindset now, do stuff quicker. Goes back to junior, he can do it slower. Mind yeah. you, goes back to junior, does it quicker, he'll have even more time. Well, the, the thing is with me is that he doesn't seem, the games that he has played, he doesn't look completely overwhelmed. He doesn't stand out as a, as a kid that doesn't belong on the ice. And I think that's, it's a key that he can handle himself. He's handling himself well. Um, he's, he's obviously has a very talented offensive defenseman. He's got great vision. He moves the puck extremely well. Yeah, sometimes he's getting exposed a little bit when he's playing against higher-end guys, but who doesn't get exposed against Crosby and Malkin and and, and guys like that, Ovechkin? And yeah, that, that schedule has been tough. But I think if you if you ease him in there and I think if, if you develop him along, he's going to be fine. He, I watch Bouchard play, and I don't say, oh, he's, he's out of his element here. He's way out of his league. You know why he's not out of his down. element? Because he's big. He's 200 pounds. Yeah. If he weighed 175, like a lot of those high-end first-round picks who are defensemen or offensive defensemen, you'd say, oh, he's too small. Yeah. But he's he's 200 pounds. So he's able, I think, in the physical situations, at least handle himself. Now, stuff happens awfully quick in your end of the ice with players darting around and, and backdoor plays and stuff that he's not necessarily seeing all the time. But I think he thinks the game like an offensive player, mm-hmm. and he's playing defense. So he, I think he thinks the game like it, the player's coming at him. You know, what are they going to do here? Uh, and that that helps him. And he's got a great shot from the point. He's got a great shot from the power play, and that goal he scored, if you break down that goal he scored, he's kind of walking the line, and he shoots the puck in mid, in kind of in, in he doesn't settle it and wait and shoot it. He shoots it in... In kind of uh, in mid shot, so that's why it caught everyone off guard. They weren't expecting it to be, fu- and he got a lot on it. Hope he said he didn't even see it. He was looking for him. He saw he's walking the line, and then the shot went past him. And I think that's the skill that he brings. And the owners, honestly, outside of Oscar Kleffbaum, do they have an offensive guy like that that can run the power play? Probably not. And if you just spell him off and you play him, and he can be on your second power play unit, why not? He's going to get better playing here, and he's not going to get better playing in London, in my opinion. And Oscar Kleffbaum is running is on the first power play unit right now, but imagine Bouchard getting a sniff with the top power mm-hmm. play with McDavid and Drysaddle and everybody. Yeah, and getting that shot, and he's able to get it through, and it has a lot on it. And, and we talked to him about that, and he's just he has that knack for getting that shot through. There's guys that they call, you know, they call Andre Sekar the shin pad assassin because he can't get a shot through to save his life. This guy finds those lanes, and he gets those lanes, and he gets a lot on that puck. You know, by extension, uh, you know, keeping Bouchard in the NHL and not sending him back to junior. The temptation to say, 
Ethan Bear or even Caleb Jones to bring them up from Bakersfield. That's got to be a plus in a way for them because they get to go down and stay in the AHL and play those big minutes as opposed to coming and playing in the third pairing. True. Uh, Ethan Bear is hurt right now, though. Mm. So, in theory, uh, then. <laughs> but I know what you're, what you're thinking. Now, if you're Ethan Bear, you're saying, hmm, that's one more guy i got to climb over to get to yeah, the true. NHL. Yeah. You know, on a right shot, they've already got Benning, who's a right shot guy, and now they've got this guy who's a right shot guy, and I'm a right shot guy, and Larson is the right shot guy. So all of a sudden you're looking at it going, hmm, it's one extra guy I have to climb over. If I was Ethan Bear, I'd try to learn to play the left side as well as the right side. <laughs> so, like, as Chris Russell can do and as Secker can do, he can play both sides. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It lo- allows the order younger defensemen to stay in the minors uh, for an expended period of time. And there's, you know, there's a couple of younger forwards in the orders they have to decide on, too, as to whether they should be here or in Bakersfield. Yeah. And I think you also have to look at the order's depth on the blue line because if you do send him back to junior, you can't bring him back. He's gone. He's gone. He's, there's a guy that you've lost on your depth. And so then you're dependent on if someone does get hurt, if you pick up some injuries, if you get in trouble, then you're going pretty deep into your into your to well when you know that you had a guy that could probably handle himself and, and play the game at this level, but he's down in junior now. So I think all those things come into consideration. Now that the Benning is back, they don't have to rush and make the decision. They can keep him here for a couple of weeks, and then they have two more games to make that decision. But honestly, from the seven games I've seen him play, there's no reason why he should go down. I think he handles himself well, and he's only going to get better playing here, which I can't say he's going to get better playing in London. Secondary scoring has uh, picked up recently. Connor McDavid set an NHL record, factoring in on the first nine goals the Oilers scored this year. Um, you know, and now he's still factored in on almost sixty percent of the Oilers' goals this year. You know, whether that's he's scored them or assisted on them. But now we're seeing other people chime in. Is it just, was it just a matter of time? Obviously, we we had players working on their kinks or working them out. Sorry. What happens is, and you see this a lot, when the higher-end guys seem to get off to better starts, and then you kind of everyone else kind of catches up to them, mm-hmm. and then that's when you get the secondary scoring catching up. And I think we're seeing that now. Connor McDavid was, was leading the charge. He was ready to go. Uh, Nugent Hopkins was ready to go. So they led the charge, and everyone else was kind of trying to find their way in the pecking order. And I think now you're seeing that these guys are starting to kind of find their game and find their offensive groove and now are starting to contribute and starting to chip in and, and he doesn't have to be 100% of the offense. He was 100% of the offense through the first four games of the year. So I think now you're seeing that those other guys starting to contribute and starting to chip in and, and, and that always you need that to, to, to be successful on the team but it's always for whatever reason the stars usually get off to these flying starts and then everyone else has to kind of keep up and catch up to them. I think it, it's, it was pretty obvious early that Brodziak and Reader look like they were struggling on a new team. They don't look like they're struggling now, especially Reader. I think Reader's been really good the last three or four games. He hasn't scored yet, but has been all around the puck, and he certainly looks like he can play with, with Leon. And, and he's kind of the defensive conscience on that line, I would suggest. Uh, and he looks good. And Brodziak looks more like the Kyle Brodziak I remember in St. Louis, strong in the puck and wins lots of faceoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chason's been a godsend, I think, at least for the games he's played to help out, you know, offensively. Um, still waiting for Ryan Strom to get a point. That's tough 
third line center doesn't have a point yet in ten games. He's kind of it's not like you don't notice him when he's around the net, but he just can't get one in the net. And he has to, you know, obviously when you're the third line center and getting your fifteen minutes a game, you've got to get a point. Uh, the only thing that still bothers me is there's not nearly enough scoring from the back end. There's not nearly enough goals. Yeah. Some teams get, I mean, they get wax of goals from defensemen. The Oilers, you know, they they just don't get a lot of them. And it certainly takes a lot of pressure off a team when your back end guys can score. And every game you play, you get one goal from a from a defenseman, say, or you know, every couple of games. So at the end of the year, you got 40 or 50 goals from defensemen. And the owners got 32 last year. So um, they need more from the back end in terms of goals um, to take some pressure off the forwards. All right. We're going to play word association. <laughs> of course, it's not a word. I'm going to give you a name. <clears throat> and you can tell me what you think of it. Here it is. First one, Leon Dreisaitl. Challenge. As soon as uh, Malkin came in from Pittsburgh and he was talked about, now you got to play as good as Malkin, and he did that game. And since the Pittsburgh game, he's been more like the dry subtle we know. Yeah, he got off to a slow start, and he's a self-admitted slow starter. He said, yeah, it kind of takes me a while to kind of find my, my groove, and, and it looks right now that he's found it. Uh, and I think it all starts with just skating with Leon Dreisaitl. It's a, his first year, a lot of people talked. He was a little heavy-footed, that he wasn't getting to the spots at, at the right time. And he came back the following year, and suddenly his skating had improved uh, immensely, and, and it became noticeable. It's like, now he's getting there. And I think um, that's the difference I see from the first few games to the to the games now is is, is a skating, and he's getting there, and he's moving his feet, and, and, he's, and he's kind of in the groove now. This is a guy that can process the game incredibly fast. He can he can process the game. He sees the ice. He can probably to me. I think he's he probably passes the puck on the backhand better than anyone in the league. Like he's fantastic passing the puck on the backhand. He's a great passer all around. But I think now he's just starting to to get find those legs and those legs are under him now. And, and he's got into that routine of the game day routine, game day practice, game day practice routine. So I think he he's really kind of back and and found his groove. Next one is Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and he was, who's not slow, by the way. You know, there are some people out there who think he's slow. He's not. He slow. plays with the fastest guy in the league. He plays yeah. with. Uh, if he's slow, if he's not as fast as some players, he thinks the game faster than some players too. Yeah. So, he thinks the game fast enough to play with the best player in the league, Connor McDavid. So yeah. he's plenty fast enough, and I think this is the best offensively I've seen Nugent Hopkins since his first year in the league when he could have won the Rookie of the Year and and hurt his shoulder. This looks more like first overall pick in the draft. Yeah, and, and to me, it's maturity with with Nugent Hopkins. I think we, we he came in, he was still a kid. He was still young. He was still kind of trying to find his way. They put a lot of pressure on him. He was a first overall pick, a very high offensive guy. And, and I think then they try to kind of turn him into a, a – a responsible checking center, a guy that can be a, you can put up against the top checking lines. But I think now you've really kind of allowed him to blossom as an offensive player. You, you, you've taken him off the center. You're putting him on the wing. You're putting him on the wing with the best player in the game. And you're allowing, you're allowing him to kind of develop offensively. And, and you don't have to say, well, you have that responsibility still of going crease to crease and being the first guy back. And he doesn't have that anymore. And I think that really kind of taking some weight off him and, and we're seeing the talent that he has when he's around the net when he when he when he thinks the game and we see, we see that he has a good shot and and I think obviously he's he's a great 
great comparable or to to Connor McDavid because they do think this think the game at the same speed and I think that's the key when you're playing with a guy like Connor McDavid it's not necessarily getting there it's it's thinking two or three moves ahead which what was what Connor McDavid does and Ryan Nugent Hopkins is able to do that he's able to see three passes ahead and knows where he has to be for that third pass and I think that's very important when you're playing with a guy like that Drake Kajula well I think we've been waiting to find out what Drake Kajula is and I think we're still probably waiting to find out exactly what he is but he, when he does play and he's not injured or he has a lot of, of freak stuff that happens mm-hmm. to him and he's out of the lineup, not necessarily terrible stuff, but just enough to slow his progress. I think he's a, an effective player. I think his pay, he, he's fast and he's got enough offensive ability to score. I think he's got enough ob- ability to score 15 to 20 goals a year. He scored 13 last year and didn't play a lot of minutes. Uh, and you know, I, I think he's always he's a third line player. Yeah. I think by now they realize you're a, he's not a fourth line player. I think he's a third line player because he can play on the power play, and uh, he can play enough minutes and do enough offensively. I think he's a third line player, and uh, that's fine. To me, Jake Kajula, I think, is realizing that he can't be a perimeter guy. He was a perimeter guy in college. He was probably a perimeter guy in his first couple years here. But you saw that goal he scored in Nashville. He went hard to the net. You've got to go hard to the net. He's not a big guy, and he's a guy, like Jim said, does does pick up some weird injuries, some niggling injuries here and there. But he knows that he's got to be that greasy guy that goes to the net and gets those goals. He's got great hands in and around the net, and he's got a good sense for the net. But he's got to get there. In, in this league, you're not going to be successful if you just play around the perimeter and, and are afraid to kind of get into those dirty areas. And, and I, I'm seeing more and more of that. He's understanding that, that, yeah, this is where I have to go to score goals. I have to get to the top of the crease. I have to get into the slot. I have to get into the paint. And he's doing that right now. And, and, and he's a smaller guy, so it does, take a, it does take a toll when you're getting pounded on by six foot five, six foot six guys every time you go in there. But that's how he's going to be successful. He's, he's a good skater. He's, he's, he's good, got good offensive instincts, but he's he's guy that you're not going to – He's not your shot is not good enough to beat you from 15, 20 feet. He's got to be in tight. He's got to be in close. He's got to score those greasy goals. And as long as he keeps doing that and stays healthy, I think that's the key for him. He's got to stay healthy, which is – it's again, it's tough because you're, you're saying to a guy, you've got to play harder, but I know you get hurt a lot. So it's he's got to stay healthy and keep playing that – in-your-face style, gritty game, and be that annoying little guy that people don't like to play against. I don't think the Oilers have that. They don't have that guy that, that, that'll stick you in the ribs, like that little guy that everyone wants to kill, like a Brad Marchand. They don't have that guy, and I think he can develop into that guy. Speaking of forwards who we want to score at least 15 to 20 goals, if not more, Yessi Pugliarvi. Uh, well, now they're they're winning games. So why would you put them back in the lineup? I I don't know. I I guess you could theoretically say, okay, we'll sit Yamamoto for a game and we'll put Jesse back in. But you're not putting Jesse on the first line. You're not sitting a guy out for three and then saying, oh, by the way, now you're going to play in the first no. line. So who plays on the first line then, at right wing, until R- Raddy gets back? I don't. I think in Raddy's case, I think. Everybody else who's who's played is a placeholder. It's not like he sat back and somebody's taken his job. Yeah, that's uh, good and bad, I guess. It's good if you're Ty Ratty. It's you know I'm sure the orders were hoping that somebody would come in and score a pile of goals like Ratty did, and they'd have 
they'd be laughing. You know, they'd have a couple of, of right-wingers. But in Puliarvi's case, I think he belongs in the minors right now. I think... I was going to say, should they send I mean, him to other, other young players are being sent to the minors. I don't see any reason why Puliarvi can't go to the, down to the minors. I, I don't, the problem with the minors is they don't play enough games. There's an awful lot of sitting around in Bakersfield. You know, this, they've been playing for a month. They played what six games? Yeah, they play on. They weekends. don't play much. Silly. They play one game and then sit around for a week yeah. again. Lots of practice time, but you don't play many games. So, I, you got to they got to decide. You 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 keep one of of either Yamamoto or Pugliarvi on the NHL roster, and the other one's going to the minors. You don't necessarily need them both. So one of them stays, and one goes. And uh, right now. You know, Yamamoto is an infinitely better defensive player than than Puliarvi is because yeah. they trust him to kill penalties, and he's pretty he's pretty you know responsible defensively, which Jesse is not. Uh, so you know, young players, you know, he's a young forward. How long do you sit him out? As long as they keep going good, maybe you sit him out another game and see how it goes. But I think. Send them to the minors. I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, lots of other guys, lots of other kids are being sent to the minors. I don't, I don't think it's a problem. Yeah, I agree. I, it's not a problem sending them to the minors. But I think that they really have to realize what they have here with Jesse Pugliari. Jesse, he's not a cerebral player. He's a guy that plays on instinct. He's a guy that goes out and he, when he has the shackles free, he goes out and plays. And he can be a dominant guy. But you can't just play on instinct in the NHL. You have to play a structure, especially if you're playing, you know, if they come up with a game plan. And he doesn't understand the structure or where he has to be or where he has to go when a team doesn't have when his team doesn't have the puck. And that's a big problem if you're playing on the third or fourth line is when your your team's not gonna have the puck. So you have to be structured and you have to know where to go on the ice. And it's 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 by situation. You can't just say, Okay, Jesse, you when you don't have the puck, you have to go here. It's all about reading the situation, whether you're the first guy back in the zone, the second guy back in the zone. Like it, and it's complex, and he's not getting it. And I think that's the frustrating part with the Edmonton Oilers now is that he just can't figure it out. So if you send him to the minors to try and figure it out, is he going to figure it out there? If he's just not getting it, he's not getting it. So I think that's one of the issues right now. What, because when he's free and he's playing – Offensively, and they say just go wherever you need to go. Offensively, it's fine. He's great and he's strong, and he had a couple of exhibition games where he looked so dominant. It's just when the puck is turned over, his eyes open up, and he's like, "I don't know where to go now." And he doesn't have that instinct to go into the right spot, so he goes where he thinks the coach wanted to go. Then that's when he starts thinking, and that's when he gets in trouble because where the coach told you to go last time is not necessarily where you have to go this time. Like, you have to read the game defensively. He doesn't do that. He reads the game offensively very well, but defensively he doesn't, and I think that might be an issue for a long, long time with Jesse Pugliari. So I think the Oilers have to figure something out because you look at this guy, and if he's never going to get it defensively, he's always going to be a liability when your team doesn't have the puck. How much can you play him? And I think, or where do you play him? Or how do you kind of fix that? I'm sure he's not the only player that's ever had that problem. I'm sure there's been a lot of guys that just have no idea where to go defensively. Obviously, Yakupov was that had that issue as well. Same type of thing. They people say just play him on the first line, let him play with you know top guys. He needs to to blossom offensively. Offensive is not the problem. The problem is with the Oilers don't have the puck. Said so he doesn't know where to go, and suddenly it's it's almost like you're in a shorthanded situation because he is so lost in the defensive end in the defensive zone, and it, it becomes a serious problem. And Yakupov was the same way. So, 
what were the scouts looking at then? Well, it's how is he? Uh, you know, the Oilers took him fourth, but pretty much every team thought he was a top five. Like he, he must have had the puck the entire game then in in junior with Aho and Line, and and nobody noticed that well, he, that the defensive part of the game was not his strength. And you can still, if you're if you're a top six player, you can get by with not playing as well defensively because, as Derek said, you've got the puck a lot. You have to still have to think the game as well as the guys you're playing mm-hmm. with. But if you're any farther below that, you have to you have to think the game better. But let's face it, unless Pugliarvi is playing in the top nine, he, he can't play in the NHL. No. He's not a fourth-line player. He can't play in the NHL unless he's in your top nine. And right now, uh, Kajul is looks just fine as a third-line right winger. And... Uh, you know, they're, they're, when Raddy comes back, he'll be the first line, you know, right winger. And, uh, you know, I don't know right now, I don't know where he fits in. I, I know he doesn't have the trust of the coach when he doesn't have the puck. Yeah. And it's half the battle in the NHL. If the coach trusts you, you can go 10 games without a goal, but if he still trusts you on the ice not to give up 20, you're still going to play. And right now he hasn't got that trust And yet. I think Pugliari has talent. He's got skill. But I think it should have been a red flag because this guy was projected to go second or third overall in the draft. And it should have brought up a red flag when the finished GM passes on the finished star. And I know a lot of people say, well, that's not, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal because the finished GM could sit down with the finished star and have a conversation with him and he find out all about him. And then I'm sure that's what they did. And then they realized, oh, this kid has an issue. There's an issue here. And then the Oilers took him because they he fell to him. It's like, oh, this kid that we had ranked, he fell to us. How intense, intensively the Oilers were able to interview him and get through him and whatever with, through an interpreter, you don't know. But I know from my experience as a journalist, if I talk to a guy in Spanish, he'll tell me everything. If I have to go through an interpreter to get them, you get like a third of what he wants to tell you. So it's a big deal, and it should have been a red flag. And the Oilers, instead of jumping all over it, said, said, okay, wait, wait, let's take our time here. They Why did they pass They should have said, which names do we have on the back of the jersey here yeah. that we're going to take you yeah. know, before mm-hmm. this happened? And oh, I Sergeichev guarantee you that one. the two names they had on the back of the jersey were Sergachev and Kachuk. Yeah. And then... You know, as the week wore on, you know, because there was some talk just just before the draft day that you know maybe they might not take Puliarvi third. You know, they might take Dubois instead. And then then you're thinking, oh, okay, I don't, I, I maybe I'm wrong. I just didn't see them having when they two weeks before the draft. I don't know if they had Puliarvi's name on a jersey to be slapping on a, on that player. No, because they didn't think he'd be there. So. But and then mm-hmm. he and they got really excited when he was there. Yeah. And they instead of looking at okay, why is he there? They just said, "Oh, good for us. He, we'll take him if you guys don't want him." And now they're kind of showing their frustration that probably uh, they saw in Columbus and they 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 foresaw this and said, "This is going to be an issue, so we're going to take the other guy instead." Yeah, you know, before you mentioned Yakupov, that's what I was thinking. You know, is this 2014 all over again? And we're seeing this. It's, we're, this is a, a rerun of the movie we've just seen. And I think. And the big difference, I think, is Yakupov was the number one overall pick, and Pulyarvi is number four. You can send Pulyarvi to Bakersfield. You couldn't send Yakupov to Oklahoma City, could you? Well, yeah, it would have been. It would have been. It would have looked bad because then yeah. the Oilers would have they kind of admitted that. Oh, maybe we picked the wrong guy at number one. 
Um, but the, it's funny because Yakubov had his supporters because, yes, he was talented offensively, but he had no clue what he was doing when they lost the puck. And it wasn't just here. It was everywhere else he went. May, realize that same thing. That's why he's back in the KHL. That's why he's not in the league anymore. Yeah. How is he doing over there right now? Good. Is he? Okay. It's, it's really good. Yeah. yeah. He scored goals there, so. and he's, you know, he's about two thirds of a point a game. Yeah. He's been good in, in, uh, um, I think he's in St. Petersburg, I think. Yeah. St. Petersburg. So, so yeah, he's been fine. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's difficult for Pugliarvi and it's difficult I'm sure for his supporters of which there are still many but I as long as I've covered hockey if you're going to get nine minutes a game do something in those nine minutes and don't so get scored on those or, and so that you'll get <laughs> 11 minutes or you'll get 13 minutes so you'll you know whatever minutes you get be noticeable yeah. if you're an offensive player and I, and I think, and I see it with fans because they, they, they really do pay attention when the team is in the offensive zone and they see Pugliarvi doing good things in the offensive zone. We have the luxury of seeing the entire ice surface, not just what's on TV. So when the puck is turned over, we see where Jesse is and we know he has, he has no clue where he's supposed to go. And you see that play develop in that sense. And so I think that is the issue right now. And, and, it, and it comes back to, to he doesn't really read the situations defensively, and then he, therefore he doesn't know where to go, and he goes and he usually ends up in the and wrong it's, spot. It's, I think it's pretty pretty clear that the coach thinks the 156 pound Yamamoto thinks the game better when he doesn't have the puck yeah. than Jesse does, and they're both young players. But that's why Yamamoto's playing, and that's why Yamamoto kills some penalties because he thinks, you know also thinks like a defensive player so you know i mean i hate to dump on jesse because i do think he's got ability but i also think in todd's case we have to throw aside the he's only 20 that is true but this is his third year in the league you know third year not first year not second third and i thought there were times last year when he looked like he was coming around but this year, after training camp, it looks like he's back in the same situation again where you're not sure where to play him and what he's going to do. And he's thinking too much. Like it, This is the problem is that when coaches sit him down and take him to film, and you can almost sense, you can almost see that the wheels are turning, and it, that's not good when the wheels are turning, when he's not playing on instinct, when he's got to think of where to go, mm. and that's, that's always going to be an issue with a guy like that. And Yessi Pogliarvi should have been my very first word association, not the yeah. fourth one. But we have one more, because I want to talk about him. Zach Cassian. Of course, he's made the news recently because mm-hmm. he wants to trade. Well, yeah, we I think, think it's like one of those situations. He gets sat out a game. He talks to his agent. The agent phones the general manager and says, what's going on here? The, the agent says, well, maybe he should be playing somewhere else. Maybe he needs a fresh start. The GM says, have at it. If <laughs> you find other teams that might be interested in him, let me know. And we'll see what can ha- what happens. I think in in Zach's case, at one point nine million dollars for a fourth line player, there's not a lot of teams going to pay one point nine million for a fourth no. line player. And I think it behooves Zach. What we we saw in in Chicago when he plays well, he's effective. He only played nine and a half minutes, but he was effective. It seemed like he played fifteen, yeah. and he was good. And and he was around the net. He didn't take a penalty. You know, he was aggressive. And you know. They're not taking Zach Cassian out of the lineup if Zach Cassian's playing as he did two years ago. They're not. No. He's effective. He can fight. He, he gets in on people. He, he, you know, he's a 
he's a belligerent player when he's playing well. But this is on this is on Zach right now to play better and to show that he can play every game. And then, you know, I, I you know I haven't talked to Zach, so I don't know if this is blown out of proportion. I don't know why you would want to play on a different team. I would just be wanting to play better on the team I'm on because it's a young team and it's got Connor McDavid on it, and he's already been on three other teams along with the Oilers, which made four. So why would he want to go to a fifth team when when he can play better and stay on this team? Yeah, this is a situation where I think the agent really gets in the way here. Um, the yeah, Zach's probably complaining about his ice time, and, and he, he didn't have a very good preseason. He hasn't had a very good lead up here, but he's a he's right. He, when he when he's on his game, when he's skating, when he's moving his feet, when he's forechecking, when he's being that, he's the bully on this team. And the Oilers haven't had a bully in a long time. Him and Lucic are both bullies, and you need guys like that if you're going to have a bunch of skilled players. You need bullies that instigate and then challenge you to do something about it. And a lot a lot of times teams don't. And I think you need guys like that. And he's like the, against Pittsburgh. Alexiak didn't want to fight him. No. All of a sudden, Zach says, I'm going to fight this guy. And he does fight him and did well. And Alexiak did okay. And, and then Zach's in the game. That said, Kara can fight too. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if he fights as well as, as, as Zach does, but he can fight. So how many of those sort of players do you need? You've got Lucic and you've got Nurse on defense. You've yeah. got at least two. Do you need three? Do you need four? More. I don't know. I, well, maybe, I, I, I bet I, you the skill guys are saying you can't have enough of those Oh, guys. I know. <laughs> I know. But the, they still have to be able to contribute. Yeah. And I think, you know, two years ago, I think this is one of those ones. Two years ago, Zach looked like an excellent player. Last year, he didn't look so good anymore. And then this year, you know, he's got to get that back again to where he was very valuable two years ago. Yeah, but the agent isn't doing him any favors. If he, if Zach went to him and said, yeah, I wish I was playing more, the agent basically has put this out to see if there's any feelers out there. He's put out a feeler, and he's gone to the GM, and the GM says, I'm paying your guy $1.9 million a year to pay on the fourth line. Go ahead. Go see if you can find someone that will give a, a trade for us. And that hurts the player. That hurts the player when things get out like this because obviously the team look, the teammates look at him and go, what's the problem here? Why don't you want to be part of this? We're all going to go talk to him about it tomorrow, so he's going to have to deal with that tomorrow when he comes back and, and answer questions of, of this. And, and the agent put him in a bad spot here, and I think what he's got to do is he's going to put his head down and says, i got to be the player that I was two years ago, get on the forecheck, play, play that bully role. And I think you can't have enough bullies, especially in this division, where you go out there and you say, well, no one's touching McDavid today. No one's touching Nugent Hopkins. No one's touching our smaller guys because we're going to go after your smaller guys. And those are the guys that you need on this on this hockey team. And I think that's why the Oilers were effective two years ago because they bullied everyone. And I think the the one play that you everyone remembers about Cassian is that where you took a run at someone, and it was it in Phoenix, you ran someone behind the net, and then they came after him. He dropped the gloves and started throwing, and it was, it was wonderful. It was like, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to bully you. Do you guys try and do something about it? And the owners have guys like that. But you're right. You just have to be responsible defensively and chip in offensively at every now and then. But the owners, I think, need a guy like Zach Cassian. They need a guy like Milan Lucic. They need those guys to give some room to, to their star players. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.